So last time I was up here, I was in Genesis 4, and the Lord had me there some more. Um, just seems like there's some information he wants to share with me, and I hope that um, you'll get something out of it as well. Um, so as we read tonight, um, we'll be in Genesis 4 and 5, Lord willing. There are a couple themes that um, sort of st stick out. One is that God has created all things. He's created mankind, animal kind, the earth, the moon, the planets, the stars, the entire universe. And when he created it, everything he created he called good. And before sin uh, entered in, his creation was pure and holy. And that's what he tries to show us in this. One of the second things is that God has a good plan. And as such, because his plan is good, he orders everything in the universe to work and function in a specific way to serve his good purposes. And the ultimate purpose is that none should perish and come to know him and accept him and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, another theme is our choices have consequences. It's inevitable that at times we're going to go our own way. I know I have. And we just make choices when our flesh gets weak and our eyes are not focused on him. However, he always desires to lead us on the path of life, to lead to eternity, to spend time with him after this life. He isn't looking to destroy us or to hurt us. And the fourth point is he always seeks to have a relationship with us and desires us to seek him. And the fifth one is he encourages us to have relationship with family and others. And that's really important. And that's why it's such a blessing to be in fellowship with one another, like this evening, to... Um, come before him to ask him to speak to us um, he's our shepherd and we're the sheep of his pasture so let's if you would open to chapter 4 Genesis chapter 4 and we'll go through it even though I know we went through it last time <laughs> There are some points I just felt led to highlight tonight. So we'll start from the beginning, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be accepted. Or, I'm sorry, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to, his Abel, to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. 
Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Enoch was born... Oh, wait a minute. To Enoch, yes, thank you. <laughs> to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada or Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and had livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lair and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So, let's review um, some of the highlights here in chapter 4. Um, so previous to 4, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. Here they bring forth Cain and then Abel. Cain, the elder brother, murders his younger brother, Abel, out of what appears to be jealousy. God tells Cain the ground will be cursed, but he still sets a mark on him, a mark of protection, similar to the Holy Spirit sealing us when we accept Jesus and are saved. Then Cain appears to make a deliberate choice to leave the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I know it's not a good choice to leave God behind. <laughs> we need God in our life, and we should call on him anytime we have troubles or anytime uh, we need advice. So here it seems interesting, the wording. So God didn't tell Cain that he had to leave. It almost seems like um, Cain decided to make that choice for himself. God only said to Cain that he would be a wanderer and that the ground would not easily yield its strength. And it speaks to how God wants to be with us at all times. And he's always open to us, um, calling on him and asking him for help. Um, he doesn't want to push us away. And it seems like Cain just made that deliberate choice to leave. So after Cain leaves, he and his wife bring forth Enoch. And later, Cain builds a city and names it after Enoch. This kind of indicates Cain has a worldly mindset, and it's almost like I, I'm thinking back to when Eve, um, when she was talking with the serpent, and the serpent deceived her, um, and Cain sort of added words, like, again, um, interpreting it that God was telling him to leave, and... I personally can't believe that God would ask any of his people to leave um, because he's a loving God and he wants relationship with us. And we'll get into that a little bit in a little bit. Um, interestingly enough, so 
Abel's murdered, but then God continues the blessings upon Adam and Eve with the birth of another son, Seth, and then he continues the lineage. Seth brings forth Enosh, and in verse 26, at that time, people began calling upon the name of the Lord, and that is an awesome place to be <laughs> when you've gotten to the end of yourself and you need help um, rather than turning to our own devices and our own knowledge and wisdom the first thing we should do is to turn to the Lord and ask for help and it's almost like here at this stage God like deliberately designed like a reset or kind of like a I can't say do over but it's kind of like he reset the the pace of um, life right at that time. And it kind of seems like the family appears to be divided because Cain decided to leave and settle in the land to the east of Eden in Nod. But when you read um, the chapter and here in the end, um, it still shows God is blessing his people and he's not leaving them alone. And by all accounts, people are flourishing. So, I mean, to have the means to build a city, right, I think is that, let's see. Yeah. So after he had Enoch, he built a city, and he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. And to have the means to build a city, um, not sure what that would be. Was it adobe, you know, mud and bricks, or some other materials? We don't know. It's not recorded here. But um, to be able to have the ability, the capability, the wisdom, the understanding on how to build anything, um, that's a blessing. And it's interesting, today uh, in the fellowship hall there was some discussion about the, how we're taught as youngsters about cavemen and Neanderthals and evolution. And when you read the Bible from the beginning, in the beginning, from Genesis 1, it seems like after Adam was created he had intelligence right away he was naming animals um, he he was given tasks and responsibilities over the land and over the animals it's like how could God give someone without any intelligence or any wherewithal responsibility like that it just doesn't make sense and that's why I think when we hear people speaking supposedly in scientific terms um, about how things are created and, and um, the history of things. We have to be very careful. We should um, be mindful to try to look at things through God's lens, and he gives us his word to do that with and to evaluate things that people say. So obviously, I don't believe that we are all created as Neanderthals. <laughs> um, okay, so so one of the things that this is calling me to remember here is that God is an encouraging Father, and you know He's He's still present. What which you can derive from Cain left the presence of the Lord. Well. Mean to me that means God was present, and He wanted to be present and deliberately present in their lives. And if you think back um, when God was speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy um, six verse six, He told Moses to tell the people, "Be strong and be of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you." He will not leave you nor forsake you. And in chapter 13 of Hebrews, the writer repeats this verse, he never leaves us nor forsakes us, but expands the meaning further um, between verses 5 and 6. Um, 
course I messed up my, hold on. So let's go there. Hebrews 13. So we can read from verse 1. So Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, and that's important, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And that's important. This life, this world, our physical bodies, our tents, this is all going to pass away. And we're all called by God to make choice whether to be with him or not. And he allows us to freely make that choice. And every day we have choices that we're faced with. And um, it's really important for us to try to remember to look at things and weigh things out through God's eyes and through God's lens. And again, like I said earlier, the word is God's lens and filter for us to use to understand how to make good decisions. Also, um, keeping on with that theme that God's position for us is always to look out for our good. There's another example in Daniel 4. Might want to go there because I think I'm going to read quite a bit of the chapter actually. So Daniel 4. which is on the other side of Jeremiah, I think, right? Yes. On the other side of Ezekiel, to the right. So we'll start at um, Daniel 4, verse 29. This is when Nebuchadnezzar was king over Babylon. What this shows is we have to be careful about our choices and careful about what we say but it also shows God's goodness and his love and his grace at the same time. So, Daniel 4, verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? And I can't, like Pastor Rob said this morning, got to be careful how we repeat Jesus' words. And I'm giggling right now because this guy, he is proud. And it just shows, it just comes right off of the page at us. And God help us because there have been times where I know I have been and actually my unbelieving sister at the time that I had just been saved. Uh, the Lord had to use her to speak to me and tone me down because I was thinking I had to get her saved and I had to do uh, whatever it took to get her saved and preach and practically hit her over the head with the Bible. And after a few months of talking with her a lot, after I had just been saved, she finally comes out and says, you know, I hear you. You don't have to tell me this every single time we talk. And it's a process for everyone, right? It's not up to us to save somebody. That's the Lord's business. We can certainly share, but we're supposed to be um, witnesses and ambassadors and share what we know of him. And so that taught me a lesson. 
So in verse 31 here of Daniel 4, so while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Verse 33, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. I'll tell you what, I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> so, so God help me not to claim something that isn't rightfully mine. So in verse 34, this is where Nebuchadnezzar is restored. So here's God's grace and his love for all people. So at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason in returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And notice I found that link there when God asked, to, asked Cain, What have you done? He is the one that can ask that. We don't ask that of God. We can ask it of God, but it's futile. God has plans. And he asks us to pray. And as the worship song tonight we sang says, be still and know that he's God. That's what we're called to do. Not to ask him why or what has he done because his plans are perfect. And they will wind up um, re resulting in a good end. So verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to, oh, wait a minute. Okay, no. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So that triggered another thought to me. Uh, we've heard another phrase where hum humility and being humble is really important. And a lot of uh, the brothers here and the pastors like to teach and tell us this and remind us this. It's Second Chronicles 7, uh, verse 11. So Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. And you notice there's emphasis on this is the house of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, and he's referring to Egypt here. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And again, that speaks, that's God um, affirming his promise that he's always going to be watching us. He's always going to be with us. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted covenanted with David your father saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel but if you turn aside 
and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. So again, that just emphasizes the fact that we have choices. Um, the choices that we make um, do put us in a position for God to bless us. Will he bless us even if we're not walking with him? Sure, he blesses a lot of people. We probably know some, work with some, are friends with some people that don't know the Lord, but they seem like they're blessed. Um, there are blessings in this time, and there are blessings for eternity. And as the Lord encourages us, we want to store up things, the good things for eternity. We don't want to store up the blessings here on this earth or in this life. And he's always leading us on a good path. Um, you all know, more than likely you know, the verse Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that's like the whole theme of the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is encouraging us to grasp the depth, the height, the breadth of his love that he has for each one of us. He wants to encourage us to pray and to seek him before we make decisions because the choices we make definitely have consequences. Um, we see today there are people who are confused. They're being deceived as to who or what they are. And that, that's a, it's a difficult topic. Um, some of us may have loved ones or friends. Um, who are being deceived and are confused. And it's a challenge to continue to um, share the love of Jesus with them sometimes. But that's what we're called to do, to speak the truth, which is in the Bible, but to do it in love. And how do we do that? We continue to develop our relationship with the Lord and to let him lead us and guide us and to allow the Spirit to work on us in situations. Um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, so our relationship with God is very important. Um, he, I can hear him now asking, like, all the things that I've provided have I left you orphans? Have I left you to fend for yourself? Are you not my children? Am I not your shepherd? And I, I feel like he's asking these questions every time we stray. And we can hear them if we're willing, but at times when we're deliberately out of his will, we're deliberately shutting our ears and we're shutting our heart down. And it's like we don't tr want to trust him and we don't want to trust in his good ways. We just want to try to trust ourselves and maybe try um, things that we've tried in the past based on our own experience to help us either get out of trouble or get out of um, a situation that is uncomfortable. So, as a shepherd and as a good father, um, the parable about the one sheep out of the 99, or out of the 100, he has the 99, but he, one of the sheep goes astray. Um, 
you can turn to Luke 15 if you want, or I can read um, it. It's verse um, 3 and 4. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And then if you, if you have gone to Luke, if you want to go to John 10, he kind of um, elaborates a little bit on this. In John chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. And as I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And that is just so awesome to fall back on, to remember that Jesus is in total communion and um, relationship with Father God, and he's also in total communication and total relationship with his Spirit. And I, in this case, I think three is better than one. Uh, there's strength in numbers. So um, with the backing of the Lord, uh, we're more secure than without. So um, let's go to Genesis chapter 5 and we'll... We'll start reading that. We'll read it through and then we'll go back. Um, but as we read it, let's um, let's keep in mind um, the theme where um, what what does God think of family? What does He think of genealogy? Um, what does he think of mankind as a whole? Um, let's uh, keep that in mind as we read through, and then um, we'll dig into that a little bit. So chapter 5 is called Adam's Descendants to Noah. So this is the genealogy of Adam. So verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man... He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. This is English Standard Version, but it's Canaan. Canaan. Um, verse 10. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Canaan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. That's funny. We go from like a 10-letter name to a 6-letter name. This is awesome. <laughs> 
So Mahalalel, verse 16, Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Verse 18, when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch, a different Enoch, but interesting that um, he chose the same name. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Uh, as I go through this, I want to pause a minute. Um, if you notice, these are lots of years, long lives. Um, but you'll also notice that in the beginning, there were more years when, um, after people matured and had uh, started having family, and you'll see it starting to decrease here, as you will start to see the lifespans decrease too. So I found that interesting, and we'll speak to that in a minute. So verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Can you imagine? I mean, think of us being saved here on earth in this physical body and then walking for 300 years with the Spirit, with the Lord, with a direct communication to God the Father. That just blows my mind. We have such a short time here on earth compared to these folks. And that's why it's so important um, to make your calling and election sure. So verse 23, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him, which means he wasn't found. He didn't die in the terms of death um, in the previous verses. So verse 29, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech, another copy of the same name from the past. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And verse 32, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So here you see, we see that God is continuing to bless uh, this, his family, his creation family, with lineage, with ancestors. And um, even though uh, it seems like the focus is on men, um, the culture of the writing here is such that um, through the male side of the families, um, the family's inheritance was granted and given, and property was um, set legally through the men. So it doesn't mean to discount women. It's just how this is laid out here is to show uh, and to begin to show the lineage of Jesus, which is what God's getting to um, in this whole book, um, in the Bible itself to show that um, the relationships, which relationships are important and how um, the lineage was derived. Um, so to talk about the, the long years and the longevity here, 
we have to remember that even though sin had already entered um, the perfectly created earth uh, after Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, this earth in which these people lived was still way beyond what we have and what we experience today. The air quality, the water quality, the soil, uh, plants, vegetables for food, um, even the human bodies were not degraded. And this is a good, um, what I want to say, representation to folks that think we are evolving and getting better. Like I stated earlier, if you look at these years, there's a slow um, decrease in the lifespans and in the um, in the lineage, and it speaks to actually a degrading of the earth, of our bodies, um, of our food sources, our air, our water. So, um, again, um, as mentioned earlier, it's good to kind of keep an eye on things that people are telling us and use the Bible and use God's word as a filter to kind of gauge um, does what people say make sense um, and there's the whole area of science you know the study uh, in scientific terms to run an experiment and to get a truthful result you have to be able to measure things you have to be able to repeat um, the same result in order to confirm that um, your conclusions are true and accurate and some of the things uh, it seems evolutionists say they can't do that they can't experiment to actually have um, something created last a million years so to speak so it's important i think even for me here just reading all this again now at this time when people are talking about the gender differences and um just making decisions you know to live lifestyles and to do things um I, this just takes me back to how um specific god is with um, these topics and he has answers for us right here and not to mention um, if you think of all the things that we're bombarded with today like social media email work responsibilities family responsibilities um, skirmishes in other lands you know god bless the ukraine right now um, these things weren't even happening yet they didn't have to worry about any of that. So imagine how clear their minds were and imagine what they were thinking of and, and how they were spending their time together. This just speaks to me of how important the family unit is and how important God um, has set it out to be. So... Um, Let's talk about genealogy a little bit. So Webster's defines genealogy using terms as history, pedigree, and ancestry. And it's defined as a history of the descent of a person or family from an ancestor, the study of family pedigrees. And genealogy is derived from the word gene and it's defined as an entity concerned with the transmission and development or determination of heredity characters regarded as a small part of a chromosome. That should sound familiar to us. Chromosomes like X and Y, which scientists have confirmed are factors which make up our DNA, that's what differentiates us as either male or female. God made, him, made us in his image, male and female. <laughs> this is to me it's just simple and God has always to me seemed to tell me to just take things one step at a time understand that he has a simple message it's a clear message but it's going to be different 
than what the world is trying to show us and trying to get us to believe. The definition of gender out of Webster's Dictionary is kind, sort, male, female, mark of membership in a distinct class. And that just totally confirms here, you know, again, God's word confirms that gender is either male or female. It is interesting, though, that there is uh, another alternative um, explanation of the word gender in the dictionary speaking in terms of arts and languages, not people. Um, so it says, within the Indo-European languages, Webster's indicates French and Italian language only use two genders to show type or possession, meaning male or female. Webster's also points out that the majority of languages have three genders, male, female, or neuter. However, it also states that many non-Indo-European languages have many genders, many. And it struck me when I read out of the dictionary these definitions, it's like, okay, so is that why we're seeing all these plays on words now and where you have to... Um, where we consider pronouns for people instead of just he and she, there are now other pronouns. So, you know, I appreciated what Pastor Rob um, preached last Sunday and, the, and today about, you know, being careful with the word, understanding that there are identifiers and it's like, we're taking words and we're using, using them differently than intended. And we do need to be careful of folks that will take certain scriptures and kind of twist them and mold them around what um, they would like it to say. So it's important not to just read one verse and just pick and pluck. It's important to kind of read um, around where that verse came from and read the whole book. Um, and, and to understand what God is really trying to say. So, as Pastor Rob stated, and I believe everybody else in this room believes too, God is a he. And it, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And male and female, he created them and he blessed them. Um, we are eternal beings, and let's make sure that we remember that, that God created us for eternity and to spend eternity with him. And it just seems like today folks are kind of abandoning that and they're just living for today. Um, conversations that uh, have come up recently have been talking about you know, the topic, I think I mentioned it earlier, uh, like being blessed, maybe financially or monetarily. And that's all fine and good for, you know, living here in the world, um, to have a job and have um, finances. But we need to be careful that we don't focus on that and make that our prime focus. Our focus should be, um, what are we storing up for eternity in heaven? Where is our heart? What is our, what is our witness here on earth? Are we mirror, mirroring the characteristics of God? And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about here now. So in the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. And that was on the sixth day and so if you look at the word likeness, if we look at ourselves in any other way than that which we have been formed, it's really sin. As we look in the mirror, do we see ourselves with the same value that our Abba Father, God, sees us? And if Jesus had a hand in creating us, and he was being obedient to God the Father and 
working according to God's perfect plan? Is the fact that we exist a mistake? No. Each one of us was created for God's purposes, for his good pleasure. And he quite often makes divine appointments. He has people come and go in, of our, in and out of our lives. He has people stay in our lives for a long time. It doesn't really matter if we're walking with God and we're allowing him to, um, to mold and shape us. More of him is going to come out. And so when we meet people and we talk with people, you know, Lord willing, more of him is going to come out, not us, but his character and his likeness is going to come out. And remember, God said everything was good when he created it, and that includes us. So every, even after Adam and Eve, every single person that he created after them is still good in God's eyes. And again, he wants to bless even on down the line. You saw that he perpetuated the family. And it's a sense of order and purpose. In order to have a family, what do you need? You need two genders. It's the way God physically made the, uh, the birth and the life and the death process. And so there are some um, verses here I wanted to share about um, blessings and um, the blessings of uh, being up in years. Um, Isaiah 46, verse 4, is one of them. It says, Even to your old age I am he, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. And that's a promise God makes. He made it to Israel, but he makes it to all of us too. He will bear our burdens. He will carry us. All we have to do is ask. Um, let's turn to Psalms. In the time we have left, I'd like to um, go through a couple of Psalms quick. We'll start at Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn... You have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. This is what triggered me to think of this when uh, we were going through the longevity of all um, the, an the ancestors there. They shall f still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And this speaks to no matter how old we are, 
or young we are, the Lord will refresh us, renew us, build us up, strengthen us. When we focus our praise on him, when we focus our, um, our prayers, and when we enter into worship with him, um, it seems like all the cares of the world will pass away. And that's what he wants. He wants us to um, have joy in his presence. Um, let's turn to Psalm 127. Again, it kind of speaks to the theme that when the Lord is the builder, when he uses his plan um, and orders things, it's good. So Psalm 27, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This kind of spoke to me where Cain decided to build a city and he named it Enoch or Enosh, Enoch. Um, and he deliberately chose to leave the presence of the Lord. Uh, anything we build upon, anything we trust, anything we we deem as truth should always be um, supported and undergirded by the foundation, by God's word, by him himself. And that's what this is saying to me. So verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sheep. But verse 3 here, um, I felt like tied into the um, ancestry of Adam. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And let's go to Psalm 28, 128 also. So blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word. And thank you for the blessings that you pour out on your people, especially Israel. But Lord, we know that you wish to carry those blessings on, just like the ancestry that you showed us here, Lord in Genesis. Thank you, Lord, for providing a way to get to heaven, to dwell with you in eternity. That's you, Jesus. That's your shed blood. When we accept your sacrifice in faith, Lord, that you were and are victorious and that you're coming back to redeem us, Lord. Where else should we be? Where should we go? But to be under you and under that blood and covered by your sacrifice. We thank you that you did that for us, Lord. And in obedience, you just followed what your Father asked you to do. Pray, Lord, for every family represented here that if there are any that are not saved, that just... Your testimony and your witness and your power will just go forth through each one here within the sound of these words and that their whole houses would be saved. Pray, Lord, that you keep us in good stead, that you give us good rest tonight. Help us, Lord, 
be good stewards of the jobs that you've given us, the time that you give us, and good witnesses for you. Help us keep our face and our eyes looking up to you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.